Hello, I'm RP. I'm a sustainability professional involved in impact investing in social enterprises. And I'm Sam, an advocate on the role of technology in the pursuit of social innovation, nation building, and sustainable development. We're both from the IGP's MSC Prosperity Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program. And welcome to To Prosperity and Beyond. quite important to choose someone quite knowledgeable on context, participation, and representation, and how these things play a role in the discussion of prosperity. Yeah, sounds interesting. So, would you mind introducing our guest today, RP? So, Nikolai Minchev is a Senior Research Associate at IGP, where he's also the Director of Research and Departmental Graduate Tutor. His work focuses on the UK and Lebanon, and he is a core team member of the IGP-led Prosperity Co-Laboratory, or Procol Lebanon. He convenes and teaches the IGP MSc modules Global Legacies and Social Theories of Prosperity. His most recent work and publication focuses on challenging the prevailing understanding of prosperity by developing alternative models and ways of thinking. He is co-editor of a new book called Prosperity in the 21st Century, which is out and available for open access via UCL Press. So please do check that out. Now, without further ado, let's all welcome Nikolai. Alright, so before we formally begin, let's start off with something light. So when you're not mentoring masters and PhD students or conversing with scholars halfway across the world or conducting your own research, how do you spend your time unwinding from the pursuit of prosperity? Okay, so I can begin with the most recent thing that I did last night, which is watch uh, some of the episodes from the new season of Black Mirror. Oh, it's really good. Really, really that good. is really unwinding. Good. <laughs> unwinding Black yeah, Mirror. Yeah. Okay, yeah. nice. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's very different from academic work. Mm. <laughs> I find it strangely social in a way because mm. a, a lot of people that I know have seen it yeah. as well yes. or are watching it at the moment. So yeah, you, know, you just message your friends. Oh, did you see the latest episode? Yeah. Generally speaking, we also understand that you are a trained social anthropologist. Mm-hmm. And in this regard, how do you think this background helped you discover like practical implications of having to contextualize prosperity? Mm. Well, so anthropology is really about studying culture and society and how people live and anthropologists really take pride in their methodology which is based on extensive deep field work and really getting to know people Uh, and one of the things that is very captivating for me in anthropology is uh, listening to people's stories Mm -hmm. so anthropology is about people's stories, you know, their mm-hmm. stories about themselves, their stories about uh, who they are, how they became the, the kinds of people, uh, that they are uh, stories about what kind of society 
we live in, you know, when you when you talk to people, people love to tell stories, and mm-hmm. these stories are usually very um, kind of concrete narratives about lived experience. And I think that when we talk about prosperity in context, one way to begin the conversation is by listening to people's stories about prosperity and their kind of concrete experiences about what prosperity means to them mm-hmm. uh, or, or the opposite. You mm. know, what are the challenges to prosperity that they face, the challenges to, to living uh, a good life and the opportunities um, of living a good life. So in terms of contextualization and anthropology, I would say that um, the, the notion of a story and telling a story is mm-hmm. really key. Uh, for me. Yeah, I guess like based on my understanding, what you said, in order to be a good social anthropologist, you should be able to, number one, listen well to the people that you're trying to conduct your research in, and as well as become a good storyteller. So just building on that, um, we want to learn about the connections of your work in this field as well as your other research. And how did this sort of like approach influence your view on participatory approaches in citizen social science. Mm. Yeah, so I mean just thinking about the history of my kind of academic interests over the the past few years, a lot of the reading that I did as a student was actually in philosophy. Uh, Philosophy and psychoanalysis and I was interested in psychoanalytic theories of the mind and philosophical theories of society and both of these were really quite abstract Mm -hmm. uh, and they didn't necessarily connect with particular concrete experiences of people you kind of had to learn how to do that right and since then I have um, progressively become more committed to thinking concretely Mm sort of moving from the abstract to the concrete. So with anthropology, I started thinking about, well, how can we take these philosophical concepts and theories that are really abstract and apply them concretely to a specific um, set of empirical materials or data? And then after that, when I came to the IGP, what I started thinking about was well, how is it that academic work, including including social theories and different kinds of um, conceptual models, can help us actually make a difference Mm -hmm. in the world? So in a sense, my trajectory has really been moving from the abstract to the concrete in terms of thinking concretely academically and then doing something concretely and thinking how we can do something concretely uh, as researchers and as um, uh, as members of a university. So with respect to citizen science and participatory approaches, I really see it as a kind of mechanism mm. for doing something, for having some sort of an impact. Um, so I guess in, in that way, you know, it's part of my kind of trajectory of different kinds kinds of commitments but they Mm -hmm. have been 
adding to one another rather than uh, sort of being re replaced. Very I'm still very interested in theory and, you know, right. I teach the class on social theories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, like, there is this divide that you sort of pointed out between, like, what is occurring in real life and then having to translate the theories that have been thought up in academia. Um, do you think, what are the biggest challenges and breakthroughs sort of engaging local communities with regard to trying to sort of work that divide out since you were trying to sort of bridge those two yeah. worlds? And like, are there any per personal memories mm. that you're fond of in terms of like connecting these two mm. things? I wouldn't say that it's a real divide. It, there's a divide in some ways, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, we can argue that the divide is really arbitrary and it's the result of know academic silos intellectual silos you right. know, the fact that people choose to do one thing as opposed to another and choose to you know not engage in certain kinds of connections and mm -hmm. you know one thing that we've been trying to do at IGP is try to bridge different kinds of thinking in new and original ways so I wouldn't exactly say that there's a real divide mm -hmm. there are a lot of possibilities on bringing these kinds of work uh, together, together. Uh, and um, we're, we're very committed to doing that. Uh, in terms of um, the challenges, you asked me about challenges yes. to participatory research? Uh, yeah, engaging communities. with local communities. I mean, I would say that for me, in my experience, the biggest challenge has been the fact that you never know if it's going to work until it actually works. Okay. Um, Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. So when you begin a particular kind of research initiative, a particular kind of research program, you don't know what's going to happen. You yeah. have some sort of a plan, yeah. but you don't know whether your plan will work or not. When it comes to engaging communities, particularly when it comes to working with um, teams of citizen scientists, you know, recruiting uh, people, working with them to sort of develop uh, training programs and, and data collection and data analysis and possibly interventions uh, later on. There are so many different factors involved mm -hmm. that you never know if it's going to work out yeah. uh, in the end, or at least this is how it felt for me. Mm -hmm. Now, luckily for us, in the work that myself and other colleagues do in Lebanon and in London, it has worked out really well, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite proud of uh, the work that we do. But there, there have been so many important factors, such as you know, the fact that I work with a brilliant team of colleagues, mm -hmm. the fact that we um, we have been very lucky to be able to recruit a team of citizen scientists who are very skilled and very capable and very committed to the work. This is something that I personally do not take for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that people have done a lot of, a lot of people have done a lot of work yeah. to get to the stage where we are at now. And just thinking about how overwhelming the whole thing seemed at the beginning, 
uh, and how you know how how proud myself and other colleagues are of the the accomplishments of our citizen science team. I I think that sort of initial uncertainty was for me the one of the one of the big challenges. Yeah, I think I personally feel it now. Um, yeah, I'm in go- I'm engaging um, social en- enterprises from halfway across the world mm-hmm. for my dissertation, and it's becoming very difficult in the engagement. Yeah, I like sort of mapped out a plan, but then it's really having to be able to improvise is my is my um, something is a learning that I have to sort of do right now I don't get to see yet the fruit of my labor yeah um, but I'm hoping it comes out to something similar <laughs> where I can be proud of like um, the understanding or the contribution I make uh, I don't know with you Sam yeah I guess like for me I can really feel that Nikola is very much invested in his work and you know it's something that he's truly proud of. I guess just out of curiosity, is there a particular project or achievement that your team has achieved and it's something that's etched in your memory forever and you want to keep on telling that story just because of the learnings that you got there but also like the impact that you've generated for that specific community? Yes. Well, I would say that it's not a particular event or a particular story. It's the bigger story over a long period of time. So the fact that we have been able to keep this work going for a number of years now, three, four years, and um, go through a number of steps and build on, um, build on the previous step each time we do something new. I think it's that bigger journey right. that yeah. is really something that is is going to stay with me and something that um, that has quite a bit of meaning for me. You know, it's yeah. not it's not just one thing or another that happened, but it's the the whole longer process of working yeah. with a group of people uh, over a number of years and. Um, you know, starting with just the the design of a research program and, you know, the prosperity models that you you see in a lot of the IGP uh, publications with the five domains and the indicators, you know, creating one of those uh, models, adapting the model for um, the sites of inquiry where mm-hmm. we work and then organizing the data collection uh, and carrying out a... a, a quite a substantial data collection uh, program and then um, doing the data analysis, the visualization, the writing up, the publication, and then afterwards working together as a team to see, well, what can we do next to make sure that this research isn't just research, but actually leads to some impact. Right, yeah. Uh, And what we did is work with our um, colleagues who are citizen scientists to develop designs for different interventions in Beirut, in the Hamra neighborhood in Beirut, but also in other uh, in other parts of Beirut and Lebanon, uh, and just working together to to make these interventions happen mm-hmm. um, and to see them being successful after 
quite a few years of research and thinking and design uh, and working together to, to kind of create the interventions. I think it's that bigger journey that is, uh, yeah, that has a lot of meaning. Yeah, I think personally, I can definitely relate to that because I run my own nonprofit, mm-hmm. and there comes a time where and you're not looking at specific projects or campaigns anymore. You're trying to, hopefully, change the overall narrative, and you're seeing it as sort of like puzzle pieces that fit and just add on, on top of each other as you progress along the years. So. I guess that transitions nicely to our next question, mm-hmm. which is about the diversity that we have right now at UCL and of course within the IGP, and most especially one of the protocols that you are involved with. So that you've just mentioned, yeah. Yes, that mm-hmm. he just mentioned. So how do you think this exposure to different cultures, and in your personal and professional experiences, shape your mindset and approach in academic discourse? Ooh, um, I mean, I think that diversity, um, whether it's cultural diversity or diversity of ideas, um, always makes up for an enriching mm-hmm. environment. But I think that we need to be careful to acknowledge that diversity itself is not enough. Uh, to for for people to being in a diverse context it's not enough for people to be able to enrich hmm. uh, their ideas because you can um, you can live in a diverse context and you can still have a kind of colonial new colonial hmm. mindset I think it's about how you um, how you relate to diversity how you relate to others and here we go back to the notion of listening know listening to people's stories uh, having a position of humility where you learn from them um, learn from others learn from other people's uh, ideas and I think this is this is something that is extremely valuable uh, having that having the humility that allows you to learn from others Mm-hmm. views, others' arguments, others' experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, living living in a diverse place and knowing people from, you know, different walks of life, different parts of, uh, different corners of the globe uh, is really quite a privilege. And I think we should, we should all see it as such and we should all uh, try to make the best of it by listening and learning from those around us. I think like, especially it's 2023 right now, um, and we need to acknowledge that we are living in the most sort of the thickest of diversity in terms of the conversations that we're having. It there is great divide, uh, yes. and we have to acknowledge that. Um, but with with the different conversations happening, and which do you think, uh, which areas do you think needs to be more representation? Uh, in terms of like, we understand that the diversity can bring out multiple voices, but which voice do you think, or which voice or which stories need to be told more? Or is it a matter of location, topic, or a particular platform? I think that everybody's voice should be heard and everybody should have the opportunity to tell their story. And there is obviously, you know, 
quite significant inequalities in terms of whose voices mm. um, are given a platform. Right. Uh, and, you know, in a neoliberal context where everything is commodified, mm -hmm. we know whose voices are going to be given the platform. Mm -hmm. it's people who have resources yeah. and power yeah. to have their voices heard. Uh, so I would say that when it comes to when it comes to voice, mm -hmm. uh, yes, everybody everybody should have the opportunity to to have their voice heard. But in a democratic society, we have to have mechanisms to ensure that this happens in ways that are not tied to capital, economic resources, mm -hmm. political power, political interest, because these kinds of um, structures of inequality in, in resources and power can really be detrimental to the kind of conversation that we have precisely because they can shut down the voices of, uh, of some people, particularly the most disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess like I have two main takeaways from what Nicolaes mentioned so far. I like that he pointed out diversity is not enough because more often than not, you know, you have some sort of listing where like in terms of EDI, mm -hmm. like how do you identify us? And sometimes people feel that they're just statistics or just numbers mm -hmm. because it reflects on paper. But obviously, it's just a starting point, right? To have those kinds of conversations and to sort of like move the needle towards more democratic discussions. And the second thing that I would take away from what he's mentioned is that you know, everyone deserves to be heard, but I guess as it stands right now, not everyone is being treated equally. Like there are some voices that are, I guess, more heard because they have the platforms and spaces afforded to them. And with that, let's take a quick break and we'll come back later <laughs> yeah. and continue our discussion. So perhaps now we can move on to what IGP is promoting, which is conversations around prosperity. So based on your observations, in what ways have discussions around this topic evolved, not just within the department, but also perhaps in other institutions that you're a part of? And do you think we're headed in the right direction? Mm -hmm. So when you ask if we're headed in the right direction, I really think it depends who we mean by we. Mm. Uh, I would be lying to you if I said that the world is heading in the right direction. <laughs> uh, I think there's plenty of things to be worried about. Uh, I think the conversation of, of about prosperity uh, is to a large extent headed in the right direction and um, I think the, the reason for that, the reason I say that is that more and more people know what prosperity is and what we mean by prosperity now. Mm. You know, seven, eight years ago, if I told somebody that I work at a place called the Institute for Global Prosperity and that I work on prosperity, they would they would be very likely to not know what it is and they would be curious and they would say, oh, what do you mean by prosperity? What is it? And now more and more I've had instances of people asking me, what do you do you know where do you work and then when i say i work on 
prosperity, I work at the IGP, they say, oh, do you mean prosperity as in the critique of GDP mm. and well-being and new pathways for quality of life? And I say, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So more people are aware that there is a new kind of conversation mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. happening. And I think that uh, the work of the IGP and others who are talking about this and trying to get our work out there um, has has had an impact in that direction. Do you have sort of like a working definition of prosperity that you want that you frequently share for those who come at you with really with very little sort of precognitions of what prosperity is? Yes, I would say quality of life for people and planet. Mm. Mm. So with that sort of working definition um, and we've had a lot of conversations, dialogues in and out of the classroom do you think in your opinion and this will be <laughs> it'll tread the realm of vague but then we'll have to ground in reality do you think prosperity like, is a vision, a journey a destination or a fairy tale well I certainly don't think that it's a fairy tale uh, I do think that it is a vision because we need to envisage mm-hmm. ways of doing things differently if we're going to get out of the multiple crises that we're facing as um, as a society and as a planet, you know, environmental crises and so on. Um, sorry, what were the other things? The journey vision? and destination. Uh, I certainly think that it is a journey because the set of practices and the set of principles that you embody when you try to achieve something definitely matter. They're part of the outcome. I I don't think prosperity is just about the outcome. Prosperity is about the process of how you do things and the kinds of principles that you do it in accordance with. So for example, principles of uh, inclusivity. You know, here we go back to the notion of listening. Um, certain notions of justice, um, certain kinds of methodologies if you're doing research that are part of the process of creating Mm -hmm. better quality of life and you know we can even say that this is why we always talk about pathways Mm -hmm. right because it's a journey it's a it's a pathway right. to to getting there and the other thing was destination was it destination well it certainly has to be some sort of a destination uh, where we live in a better kind of society than we do now but I think the important thing is that the destination is never final you know mm-hmm. it's not like you get there and that's it mm-hmm. it's an ongoing process and uh, once we reach one destination then the question is what next? Where do we go next? Yeah. Uh, I think prosperity is never something that is achieved once and for all. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can have gains and losses. You can have ups and downs, but it's not like you get to your destination, mm-hmm. and once you've arrived there, you stop. It's, it's a, it's an evolving it, thing. It, it it's a it's a renewing, mm-hmm. a, a destination that renews itself. An evolving thing, exactly. Yeah. No, because honestly, like, we, since it's a post-GDP kind of criticism, 
that 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 sort of come comes out like if we solve all of the gdp problems on the on all the sustainability goals have we subverted the system that allowed the goals to be needed in the first place so i think that's how that that has always been my sort of view of um trying to change the system uh to require the sustainability goals in the first place and when we do get there we'll probably figure out that there are more things that we need to solve and there's nothing particularly i don't want to say wrong but there's nothing particularly faulty in trying to work towards that just because it's imperfect Mm -hmm. well we'll try to do better we'll try to do better (laughs) Okay, I think we've covered a lot of topics at this point. Like, you know, we started with psychoanalysis, then we delve into participatory approaches, and even touch a little bit about diversity. So maybe we can end on this note. How and why should more people be involved in paving a path to prosperity? Well, I think the reason why people should be involved is because we all ask ourselves what kind of society we want to live in uh, not just now but five years in the future 10 years in the future 15 years in the future and the way that things are going right now it is looking quite bleak in a number of different areas and i think that we need to do something uh, about it but in terms of what people should do I think it really depends on, on people's commitments. You know, it can be something as simple as being kind to your friends and family, going out for, uh, going out for a coffee with your friends. Um, if you uh, are a researcher and if you teach at a university, then it's really about what kind of research you do and what you teach and what kinds of principles um, what kind of principles you stick to in whatever it is that you do. So I don't think that everyone should drop everything that they're doing and start doing something that's related to prosperity. But I think that everyone should be aware of the challenges that we're currently facing, the direction in which we're going, and think about what they can do to make a contribution to the lives of those who are closest to them as a starting point and then you know beyond that to their community to their city um, and so on and so forth so yeah i think it really depends on what people's circumstances are what they do and uh, how they can do things differently uh, in order to in order to make a contribution to like I said quality of life for people and planet. Mm. Wow! Wow! What a really beautiful <laughs> ending to our podcast. So what a great first guest. Yeah. <laughs> to this podcast, thank you so much, Nikolai, for spending time with us and talking about uh, talking about prosperity, talking about diversity and I think it really sets up our this mini series 
to a good start of how we want to sort of structure more conversations moving forward. Thank you. It was great to be on.